Did you notice G Garrett last week went? Good evening, everybody. Just a few announcements before we begin. On December 9th, there will be a Christmas party at Guillermo's. And so if you're interested in that, uh, please see him or contact uh, David Kim for more information. Uh, then the next day, we're going to be going Christmas caroling at the local nursing homes uh, uh, right after or soon after the morning service. Uh, we will be doing that again the following Saturday. Uh, it's just a real blessing to be able to go into the nursing homes uh, in the area. A real blessing every year, uh, but uh, definitely something that we want to go into with it's a lot of prayer. It's uh, in many uh, respects uh, a tragic scene in some of these uh, nursing homes and so it's a privilege to go in, in into them and, and, and minister there. Uh, as well, uh, remember if you need parking we have free uh, parking tokens in the back and we do not pass a plate here at Calvary Chapel. There is however a, an offering box in the back. Uh, some, of, uh, uh, some of you are probably wondering uh, the uh, status of negotiations with the hotel. We, as has been previously announced, we are negotiating with hotels on Sunday mornings to get this whole space here uh, so the Sunday morning service, which is growing, can, you know, can span the whole room. The hotel has agreed to what we wanted, uh, and so we're really happy about that, but we haven't signed the contract yet, and uh, there's still uh, an a couple outstanding issues regarding storage and the term of, uh, of, the, of the lease, and so continue praying for that. But we're really happy uh, with, with that whole situation. And so uh, as of January 7th, uh, in the morning service, we should have this, this whole area, God willing. Uh, the pen is not uh, on the paper yet. The contract is not, hasn't been drafted, but uh, there's no reason to believe uh, they'll be backing out. So uh, continue praying there. Okay, we uh, are in uh, 2 Samuel this evening. 2 Samuel chapter 16, going through the Bible chapter by chapter and uh, Genesis through Revelation. We are at 2 Samuel. And so before we begin, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, every bit of it, Lord, and and how we want to uh, just be refreshed this evening, Lord, with what you have for us, Lord. And God, I just uh, pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would uh, open up your word, even as you opened up the word, Lord Jesus, to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, showing them uh, that from, from Genesis uh, to the very end, of, uh, of the Old Testament, Malachi, that uh, spoke about you, Lord. And I, uh, I pray that we would see that uh, this morning, Lord. And I pray, Lord, uh, for everyone in here, Lord, every man, every woman, Lord, if uh, they came in here needing encouragement, that they would get that. If they came in here uh, needing a rebuke, they would get that, Lord. And I just pray, uh, Father, that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit. We look to you to do a work this evening. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, just a quick review as we've... Uh, anyone need a Bible? Raise your hand if you do. Uh, just a quick review because we haven't been uh, for a couple of weeks here in 2 Samuel. David at the very height of his reign, uh, when he was about 50 years old, he uh, was staying home while kings went out to war. He stayed home and uh, saw Bathsheba on a, uh, the roof of uh, a neighboring building and he called to her and even though he was specifically warned who she was, that she was married, that uh, she was the, the daughter of Eliam, I think one of his mighty men, and uh, he, he went and took her anyway and when Nathan the prophet confronted him, uh, he said three things to him. He said, you won't die. However, the sword shall never depart from your house. I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and, take, uh, and give them to your neighbor. And so we saw number one happen already with, uh, uh, with, uh, in, in his own household. His daughter Tamar was raped by Amnon, who was the, uh, his son, and he was also heir to the throne. And... Uh, Absalom came along a couple of years later and killed Amnon, so uh, the sword uh, had entered into his house. It was never to depart, but we saw the beginning of, of that. And then uh, we saw uh, number two uh, uh, take uh, or, or come to its fruition in uh, chapter uh, 14 and 15 uh, with Absalom stealing the hearts of the people of Israel. It says in, in chapter 14, verse 25, And now in all Israel there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. Uh, and, and then it says in chapter 15 that, that, that um, Absalom, he, he ran around uh, Jerusalem uh, with a chariot and horses, and 50 men ran before him. And, and, and so he's sort of uh, uh, this display uh, uh, of a power and authority, and then he would rise up early and stand beside the city gate, and whoever had come to the king uh, for justice, which was common at that time, the king was the judge, uh, he would uh, basically steal uh, their hearts away and, and, and tell them, look, there's no one here uh, to, there's no one here to uh, really give you justice. Um, if I were made judge in the land, uh, uh, people would, I would give them justice. And so in, in verse 6, uh, it says of chapter 15, in this manner Absalom acted towards all Israel, so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And then we, uh, in the ensuing uh, chapter, you see the uh, a conspiracy take place. He plants spies throughout Israel, and then um, basically uh, on cue, he told them to rise up and that uh, uh, Absalom is, has taken on the throne in Hebron and, and then he uh, marches towards uh, Jerusalem. And then in chapter 15, we saw this really amazing series of, uh, uh, of events where David, King David, uh, he doesn't want Jerusalem to be destroyed in a civil war and so he leaves and you see... Um, most of the people have gone after Absalom. They, they, they have sort of gone after the temptation. But you see a series of people meet him, uh, and uh, they really basically pledge to stay with him in, in spite of the fact that it looks like David's going to be the loser in this whole thing. Uh, one is um, Ittai, who is from, 
from Gath, and, and, and he was a Philistine, he was a foreigner, uh, but uh, he, he pledged his life uh, to David. He said in verse 21 of chapter 15, as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, surely in whatever a place my Lord the King shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant uh, will be. Uh, and then Zadok, who was a priest, uh, and, uh, and uh, I believe Abiathar, uh, they came out with the ark and pledged to stay with David. And David said, no, uh, that is, doesn't belong with me, it belongs with Jerusalem. And he sent them back, but uh, they, they were still uh, wanted to be with him. And then you have this guy, Hushai the Archite, uh, who was his military advisor comes up to him and says, look, I want to stay with you. And uh, he, David basically tells this guy, Hushai, uh, to go back to Jerusalem and be a spy. Uh, but, but what we saw and what we learned uh, from there is that Absalom, for all his beauty and temptation and promises, he, 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 he couldn't find a place in the hearts of these people who loved David. And... This is what temptation is like, temptation from the enemy, Satan. That uh, if, if, we're, if our passion for the Lord is what it is supposed to be, uh, temptation will not find a place uh, in our heart. And, and so more than anything else, what we want to do in our life uh, is not so much pray that we would hate sin, because everyone hates sin, but pray that our passion would be such that when... Uh, temptation came along. Remember who Absalom was, the most beautiful man in Israel and the most powerful man. He sort of just drooled with power and authority and charisma. That, that, that temptation like that would, would never find a place in our heart because our heart is filled with the Lord. It's filled with a, a passion uh, for God. Uh, and, and so uh, you, you have these people uh, commit them uh, their lives to him and, and even pledged to die with him. Now, in chapter 16, uh, you see uh, uh, something now different happening. And, and let's read there. Chapter 16. When David was a little past the top of the mountain. So he's coming out of Jerusalem. He's fleeing Jerusalem, uh, anticipating that um, Absalom is going to come in. When he was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, who met him with a couple of saddled donkeys, and on them 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, what do you mean to do with these? So Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. Then the king said, And where is your master's son? Now remember who his master was. It was Mephibosheth, who was Jonathan's son, who David had invited to permanently forever dine with him at his house. And remember, he was, Mephibosheth was the grandson of Saul, who was the former king. That's very important understanding this, uh, Ziba says to the king, he says, Indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem, for he said, Today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. So the king said to Ziba, Here all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. So he basically gives um, everything that was Mephibosheth's, which was a lot, everything that was Saul's, 
David had given to Mephibosheth. And so it's now given to Ziba. And Ziba says, I humbly bow before you that I may find favor in your sight, my Lord, O King. In verse 5, we have uh, even more interesting uh, character, the dreaded Shimei. Now, when King David came to Baharim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, which was Benjamin. Uh, he was a Benjamite, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, coming from there. He came out cursing continuously as he came, and he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on the right hand and on the left. And so you have to picture this. Here's David, and he's surrounded by his mighty men who had been with him for 40 years, these warriors. And here's this guy coming out throwing rocks at him and cursing at him. Brave guy. And Shimei said thus when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue! The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom and your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. Then Abishai, the son of Zuriah, said to the king. So Abishai was one of David's mighty men, one of his bodyguards or the head of his bodyguards. Why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Please let me go over and take his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, Curse David. Who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, See how my, how my son who came from my own body seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite let him alone and let him curse, for the, so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that he will repay me with good uh, for cur his cursing this day. And as David and his men uh, went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went, threw stones at him and kicked up dust. Wow. Now the king and all the people who were with him were weir became weary, so they refreshed themselves. And so in chapter 15, what you saw, remember the definition we had for a friend. A friend is someone who comes in when everyone else is leaving. You know, you're in some calamity. That's a real friend, someone who comes in when everyone else is leaving. And so you have these, uh, David, who's, who's beaten down big time. I mean, he's under attack. And you just see the Lord refreshing him. And there is an incredibly wonderful, awesome lesson here about spiritual warfare. And I've been sharing with some of you my heart about spiritual warfare and the necessity of recognizing that we, that our uh, battle is not against flesh and blood. We are in a battle against the principalities of the kingdom of the air, meaning uh, Satan and, and spiritual forces. And we need to recognize and we need to know how to battle. And, and a lot of it is prayer. But also the Bible talks about we need to be watchful. We, we need to be prayerful and watchful that um, we're, we're, we're not, uh, we don't walk right into the trap of the enemy. Okay? And, and here you have David, at a time where he's most vulnerable, that's right when the enemy attacks, when did, did, did Satan tempt Jesus? After 40 days, 
without food or water. And that's when he was his most vulnerable. He was, he was, um, he was hungry. He was thirsty. At the very time, that's when Satan will come. And when you're sick, when you're without sleep, when you're battered down, that's when the enemy is going to come in. Now, the Lord is always right there with you the whole time. And that's what we saw in chapter 15 with God just coming in and refreshing his heart. But in chapter 16, we have two little puppets uh, uh, from, the, for, for, from the enemy coming in here and, and, and trying to disrupt things. The first is this guy, Zeba. Now, this guy is a charlatan. He's a shark. He's a liar. Uh, he, he, we will find out later that this whole thing is a lie. Uh, his master is crippled and can't leave Jerusalem. And this guy, everyone else in chapter 15, the reason they follow David is because they want David. They love David. That needs to be our motive for staying with the Lord. It's because we love him. We want to be with Jesus. We want to have that relationship with him. And, 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 and that's why these people went for David. With this guy, he didn't care about David. He just wanted an inheritance. He just wanted stuff. He wanted wealth. And he saw this opportunity. Wow. You know, uh, Absalom's coming in. My master's a cripple. He can't walk anywhere. I'm just going to go up and, out and make up this lie that my master, who is Saul's, uh, the heir to Saul's kingdom, it, it, it is suffering under delusion that he's going to inherit the, 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 the throne. And now, remember at that time when we studied about Mephibosheth, very unusual for David even to leave him alive at that time. At this time, when a king took over from another king, he would just kill all the king's sons and nephews and everyone else. But David left Mephibosheth um, alive. And so here you have Ziba, and he comes at a time where David is most vulnerable. And I'm telling you, when you are tired, under attack, battered down, under temptation, whatever, you need to be watchful of everyone and everything that comes into your path. Not be paranoid, but you just got to be under, you know, in prayer. You know, what is this thing in front of me? Well, David is caught off guard here. He's caught off guard here. I really believe that he, if he had inquired of God here, uh, he would have known that this guy was a shark. Instead, he winds up giving him all Mephibosheth's uh, inheritance. Now, that's going to be sort of reversed later. But a real lesson here about spiritual warfare, uh, particularly, you know, when we're down and, and, and the Lord is comforting us in many ways, uh, we've we got to be careful uh, because there's nothing that the enemy wants more than when we're down to, to, to sort of keep us down there. Uh, by coming in. And then you have another little minion of the enemy coming in, this guy Shimei. Right again, when David is at his most vulnerable, uh, this guy Shimei is just coming in and just kicking him uh, uh, and, uh, and just like a goad, you know, this pokey little uh, stick, you know, trying to, uh, you know, gouge him with it again why should this dead dog curse my lord the king and and he's cursing the king he's calling him a bloodthirsty man he's he he's he's saying you know come out you bloodthirsty man you rogue uh you rogue uh and so he's carrying on like this and now this time david responds in a godly way so who you know who 
who knows? You know, maybe he had realized what had gone on with Ziba, and he's, he's, he's uh, a day had gone by or whatever, and he's, uh, or some time had gone by, and he's in prayer, and, and here's this guy, and, and David realizes, you know, I need to respond to this person like the way God wants me to respond to him. And, and what he says is, you know, this guy, uh, Abishai, comes out. Now, Abishai, I think he was jo- Joab's brother. They were the sons of Zariah. They were really sort of shallow warrior types who, you know, they see, you know, their solution to anything that looked awry is just to get their swords out and start uh, flailing away. That's how they were. And, and you know, reminds us a little here of the Apostle Peter on the night that Jesus was arrested. You know, oh, you know, whoa, you know, I got I to gotta attack and, and, and prevent this from happening. Uh, but uh, what, did, what did Jesus say uh, when that happened, when, when Peter did that? He said, the cup which my Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Shall I not drink it? And that's the same thing that David does here. Remember who David is? He's a forerunner, a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. He's not Jesus Christ. He's not literally Jesus. But uh, in David, uh, the, uh, the reader of the Old Testament can see uh, a forerunner uh, of the Messiah in, in many of the ways that he interacted with him. And, and what David uh, responds to him uh, is that, look, this guy's from the Lord. This guy's cursing at me. He says, the Lord has ordered, ordered him to curse at me. I mean, that's, a, that's just amazing spiritual insight on the part of David. And, and what it is, again, and uh, I've been talking about this recently, is David is not trying to weasel out from the chastening of God. He could have just as easily, very easily ended this chastening. I don't want to deal with this chastening. But David knew that he was being chastened by the Lord. The, uh, uh, the, the prophet Nathan had been very specific with him that not only would the sword not depart from his house, but that adversity would rise from his own house. He knew what was going on here. He knew that he had been given this incredibly uh, privileged position in Israel and he had violated that privilege uh, with, with, um, with Bathsheba and murdered a man. And so he knew he was being chastened. And the best thing that we can always do is when we're in God's chastening, if we want the shortcut, the shortest way out of the chastening is to endure the chastening. And, 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 and so he, he, he accepts this uh, from the... Lord, just as Jesus uh, had done, whether it was Judas, whether it was Herod, whether it's Caiaphas or Pilate, he could always say in all circumstances, the cup which my father has given to me, me to drink, shall I not drink it? That's a very freeing thing. That's a very freeing thing. I'm listening to this series on Genesis and... uh, You know, I'm at the point... Where this, with the story of Laban and Jacob goes to Laban and um, he falls in love with uh, Laban's uh, daughter, Rachel. And he uh, is just so in love with her and uh, he agrees to work seven years for the privilege of marrying her. 
and it says that, so he worked seven years, and the Bible says that they were, but as a few days to him, he was so, so in love with her, and on the night of his uh, marriage, they, uh, Laban does the old switcheroo and puts Leah uh, in Rachel's place. The, the brides at that time were heavily veiled, and, uh, and the tents were very dark because he went into the tent and consummated the marriage and didn't find out to the next morning that it was Leah. Uh, and he went to Jacob, you know, what have you done? Well, don't you know the custom here? Haven't I told you in the last seven years while you were you know, working for Rachel that I have to first give you my, uh, get my, my the firstborn daughter? And uh, actually winds up making Jacob work another seven years. And... You know, the amazing thing about it is you don't see Jacob. The guy's big time under construction at that point. He's still, you know, Jacob was a liar and a cheater and many other things, but here God is just refining him. You don't see Jacob uh, doing a whole lot of complaining. He does does give a complaint later on when uh, Laban chases after him after he had left, but um, you don't see him spending the whole seven years complaining that he got an unfair deal. Instead, you see a man who had accepted the chastening of God, had accepted the fact that he was in training. And boy, was he in training. He was establishing the nation of Israel through whom the Messiah would come. And guess what happened? He wound up, he he came to that place penniless. Penniless. Remember, he was fleeing his brother Esau, and he came penniless. He left as a wealthy, wealthy man. And so if only when we're dealt an unfair hand, we can just, instead of griping and complaining and, and, and God, you know, how do I get out of this situation? If we can only accept it from the hand of God, accept his chastening, we will be blessed. Jacob left a wealthy man, and the guy who was ripping him off was he wasn't left destitute, but but he, he was left uh, very small. You could say that in a very small, uh, diminished sort of position in his life. Uh, and, and so, what a testimony that is uh, was to me as I thought about it. That that you know, life is not all about making things right in every situation that we find that we're in. That we've been de- dealt some unfair blow. No. Life is about seeking the Lord. God, is this from you? Is this from your hand? Do you want me bearing up under unjust suffering here so that I can be refined, so that I can be used of you, and that so ultimately, Lord, I can bless, be blessed, and, and be a blessing from you. And so that is what David is doing here uh, with this guy Shimei. He, it, you know, he, he's saying, look, this is from the Lord. I deserve this chastening. I'm not going to weasel out of it. And it says, It may be that the Lord will look upon my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for uh, his cursing this day. And so he is um, uh, able to sort of um, overcome the temptation. And, you know, what he could have been thinking about uh, very easily, and any time we get into a situation where where we're whether it's with a boss or whether it's at school or whether it's at home with a family member or whoever, 
any time, what we do is we wound up just going over and over about how, how unfair of it, it is. You know, David could have said, look, I've served this guy, um, Shimei, 30 years. And he had. David had been a godly king and had served his people in a way that Saul before him had never served. In fact, Saul uh, had just been a man uh, obsessed with war and uh, inflicted by war, and, and, and David could have thought, you know, all Saul did was uh, get, take their, this guy's sons into war and get them killed. Remember, there was war during all of Saul's reign. He never really won. He never really lost. It was, it, I mean, he, he did lose and win, but it was, it was this seesaw thing. It was this constant battle, and that was just because he, he was not following and seeking the Lord. Uh, but David didn't do that. He saw it was from uh, the Lord. Uh, and so, um, if, if the, the key is this, is, is that if we can only realize uh, really from, from morning until evening, every situation that comes in front of us, if we can only realize, uh, if we can only see the hand of God, if we can only hear His voice, uh, in whatever circumstance comes uh, before us, uh, we'll, we'll be, you know, we'll be, well, there will be so much more of a peace and rest uh, settle over our, our, our life and our minds and our souls will be so much more calmed and subdued. And, and, and you know, we won't go around saying like Abishai, you know, why shouldn't, you know, this dead dog, why shouldn't we just cut his head off, you know? And, 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 and so, um, we, you know, I, I don't know about you, but every week something happens uh, where, where we want to take up our own sword and, and deal with um, this, this type of thing. And so, anyway, so next time someone comes up and yells uh, uh, at you for no reason at all, just look them straight in the eye and say, thank you, God. See what they say, you know? Anyway, really, though, the, the, the chastening rod from the Lord, it, it, it happens all, all the time, all day, the hand of the Lord uh, in our life. And so, then we have verse 15. Let's pick up there. Meanwhile, Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with them. And it was when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king! Long live the king! So Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why do you not go with your friend? Meaning David. And Hushai said to Absalom, No, but whom the Lord uh, and this people and all the men of Israel choose, his I will be, and with him I will remain. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son as I have served in your father's presence? So will I be in your presence. Then Absalom said to Hithophel, Give advice as to what we should do. And Hithophel uh, said to Absalom, Go in your, into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear uh, that you are abhorred by your father. Then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the top of the house, so on top of David's house. They pitched a tent, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired 
at the oracle of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel, both with David and Absalom. And so here you have the third of Nathan's prophecies. Uh, actually, technically, there was a fourth prophecy by Nathan. Uh, the fourth was that the son, the first son between Bathsheba and uh, David would die. But here you have uh, the third one that he had been given. Remember the first, sword will not leave your house. Second, adversely will, adversely will rise up against you from someone in your own house. And the third, I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. Well, his neighbor was his son. And um, remember, Nathan had continued, and, and he, your neighbor, shall lie with your wives in the sight of the son, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. And so he does it on a tent uh, on the roof in the palace. And this act showed all Israel that there was just no reconciliation between the father and the son. I mean, you did something like that. There was this clear distinction at that point. The people of Israel uh, needed to make a choice. And, says, and so it says in, in chapter 17, verse 1, Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Now let me choose 12,000 men, and I will rise and pursue David tonight. And I will come upon him while he is weary and weak and make him afraid, and all the people who are with him will flee, and I will strike only the king. And then I will bring back all the people to you. When all, when all return except the man whom you seek, all the people will be at peace. And the uh, uh, saying, please Absalom, and all the elders of Israel. And so Ahithophel here says in verse 2, I will strike only the king. In other words, he's going to go kill the king. Now, again, this is Ahithophel. He was had been David's closest advisor. Remember, there was even a psalm David wrote about this guy, that they had gone to fellowship and, uh, with the people of God uh, together, and they had broken bread together. And, and so, but here he's saying, I'm going to go and kill him. I'm going to go and kill this guy. And, and uh, uh, what did we say the reason? Why did Ahithophel do this? Well, in 2 Samuel chapter 23, you see a list of names and, uh, and descendants, and one of them, is Ahithophel's son, a guy named Eliam. And we learn from chapter 11 that Bathsheba was Eliam's daughter. And so what happened is that, is that David had violated this guy, Ahithophel's granddaughter. And, you know, this was just such a, a grave offense. It really, really was. I mean, how could this guy, David, I'm his closest advisor... How could he be so arrogant, so brazen to take for one night of, of pleasure my granddaughter and, and make me a disgrace before all Israel? It was a tremendous a breach of trust. But what happened is it left a root of bitterness in Ahithophel that would ultimately kill him. And so the advice that he gave was really perfect advice. Ahithophel knew that basically David had never lost a battle. And that if he was given time, if, if, he, if there was a delay, if David was given any chance, he knew, Ahithophel knew that Absalom was going to lose and, and, and David would be back uh, in Jerusalem. And so what he says is, look, I'll take 12,000 men, which was not a large force, and I will go right out to get him while he's weak. I will go out and I will destroy him and I'll kill him.
But in verse 5 it says, Then Absalom said, Now call Hushai the archite also, and let us uh, hear what he says. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom spoke to him, saying, Ahithophel has spoken in this manner. Shall we do as he says? If not, speak up. So Hushai, now remember this guy's a spy. He's David's spy. And what's happening here is exactly what David wanted to happen. Uh, Absalom is asking him uh, for his advice, and he will frustrate the advice of Ahithophel. So verse 7, so Hushai said to Absalom, the advice that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. For you know your father and his men, that they are mighty men, and that they are enraged in their minds like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. And your father is a man of war and will not camp with the people. Surely by now he is hidden in some pit or in some other place. And and it will be when some of them are overthrown at the first that whoever hears it will say there is a slaughter among the people who will follow Absalom. And even if he who is valiant, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will melt completely. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man and and those who are with him are valiant men. Therefore, I advise you that all Israel be fully gathered to you. So what he's saying, we've got to mobilize a gigantic army. He's just buying time here. That's what he's doing. He's just buying time to let David escape. He's saying, let all Israel um, gather to you uh, from Dan to Beersheba, like the sand that is by the sea for multitude, and that you go to battle in person. So will... Uh, come upon him and in some place where he may be found and we will fall upon him as the dew falls on the ground and of him and all the men who are with him there shall not uh, be left so much as one. Moreover, if he has withdrawn into a city then all Israel shall bring ropes to that city and we will pull it into the river and there is not one small stone found there. Verse 14, So Absalom and all his men of Israel said the advice of Hushai the archite is better than the advice of Ahithophel. For the Lord had purposed to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. Verse 15, And Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar the priests, Thus and so Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so I have advised. Now therefore send quickly and tell David, saying, Do not spend this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily cross over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. And so what happened is that they um, sped out, because remember, Zadok was loyal to David, but has been told to go back to the temple. He's the high priest. He's been told to go back to the temple with the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, one of uh, Zadok or Abiathar's uh, sons goes out and tells David, Look, you got to get out of here. And then verse um, 22, it says, So David and all the people who were with him arose and crossed over the Jordan by morning light. Not one of them was left who had not gone over, over the Jordan. Now here, verse 23, important. Now when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey and arose and went home to his house, to his city. Then he put his household in order and hanged himself and died. And he was buried in his father's tomb. So this is a very powerful picture of what will happen in your life and in my life if we let bitterness and unforgiveness take root 
in our lives. We will be left like Ahithophel, hanging from a tree, twisting in the wind, dead. And, uh, you know, Hebrews 12, 25 says this, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Bitterness will not only affect you, it will affect everyone around you. And, and this is the very humiliation that you see right now with Ahithophel uh, that bitterness will take you to if, it will allow, uh, if you'll allow it to. Um, it, it, it will, it, 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 you know, it, and you can ask the question, you know, wasn't Ahithophel justified? Should, shouldn't he have been angry? Was his bitterness justified? Yes, most of the things that we are bitter about, we are justified in. We're justified. But the problem is we can't afford the price of bitterness. Uh, we can't afford what bitterness does to us. The price of bitterness, none of us can pay. That's the problem. Uh, you know, no, no argument with Ahithophel. You have been tremendously wrong. You know, what, what David did to you, it was a brazen, outrageous act. And, 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 and you have every right in the world to, to, to feel offended and wronged. But that doesn't make, that, 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 that's not, that's not going to help Ahithophel by sort of laying hold of that. We need to give over the vengeance to the Lord. And does Lord, the Lord do a good job or what? Look what he's doing with David. If Ahithophel could only have stepped back and say, wow, God is really repaying. What I had wanted to do with my own uh, hand, with the arm of my own flesh, God's doing it with his mighty arm. Uh, but he didn't do that. And so uh, we can't afford what bitterness does to us. We may be justified in it. We can't afford where it'll take it. Matthew 18, we went through that in our study of Matthew. Apostle Peter, thinking he was probably... Real spiritual guy, you know, how often when my brother sins against me, should I forgive him? Uh, seven times. And, and, you know, the rabbis had taught in the Talmud three times, and Peter doubles it and adds one. You know, you know tell me, pat me on the back, Jesus. I'm a real spiritual guy. Uh, doesn't happen. Jesus says 70 times seven, meaning as many times as you're sinned against. It doesn't matter. You have to forgive. You have to let go of bitterness. Bitterness is like drinking a bottle of poison and then hoping the one that we hate will die. Now, how ridiculous is that? But that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. They won't die. You will die when you drink the bottle of poison. It will hang you up and leave you twisting in the wind. What is the cure? It's the 70 times 7. It's the, it's the letting go. I just saw in the news an incredibly tragic story on every front you know, this week with this woman who, uh, this guy back in the 70s, like 25 years ago or something, had, had raped a woman uh, in college. And apparently it was a very violent rape. And he, you know, it's 20, 25 years later, he's uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous. And one of their things is to go back to the, the person you've offended and um, ask for forgiveness and apologize. And so this guy, 20, 25 years later, goes back to her and apologizes and um, she winds up um, 
leveling charges against them, and he's charged with rape, and now he's in prison for it. And you know, he 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 pleaded guilty and and that type of thing, and and uh, you know, it's not for me to say at all whether she should have done that. But I found it very, very interesting that after he was sentenced, they interviewed her, and, and she said, this is, this is not going to take my hurt away. This is not going to take the damage in my soul away. You know, bitterness will, will conti continue to eat her up, even as terrible, as awful as this. And she was a virgin at the time, a terrible, terrible crime, was violent. She, was she justified? Of course she's justified. And, and again, I'm not saying for a second that, you know, it's not for any of us to question her judgment um, of what she did to this guy. For all I know, the guy may have gone out and done it again. Maybe he should be in prison. I don't know. But it didn't help her really at all, her life at all. And when she was interviewed, she said, I, 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 you know, this, this is not taking away the hurt and the damage that this caused me. Bitterness is like drinking a bottle of poison and then hoping the one that you hate will die. The problem is, they won't die. You will die. And, and, and so, uh, no matter how bad the wrong is against us, the only cure is to ask God for the grace to forgive. Forgiveness is an act of the will. If I wait until I feel like forgiving, I'll be waiting an awfully long time, maybe forever. And uh, forgiveness is a decision. It's, it's, we have to agree and do in our hearts that forgiveness is the heart of God for in a situation. We have to uh, agree with God. This is really a three-step process. Agree with God what his heart is in the situation to forgive. Then we need to ask God for the grace to forgive. Forgiveness is a miracle that takes place in our heart. Who can forgive someone for, for rape? Who can do that? That has to be a supernatural act of God. And then, and then three would be uh, asking God for the opportunity to show the forgiveness, to, produce, to, to bring forth the fruit of forgiveness. And so don't go the way of Ahithophel. Uh, go the way of Jesus. It is uh, kind of an eerie comparison and contrast between the two. Ahithophel dying on a tree crying out in bitterness, Jesus dying on a tree, crying out, What, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And, and, and so we're called to follow Jesus, no matter what the cost, and to ask the grace uh, to forgive. Bitterness has a cost that we can't pay. But thank God that, 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 that Jesus paid the price for us and, and, and on the cross and, and that we, we can now have the grace uh, to, to get rid of the bitterness and in its place, just a spirit of, of, of forgiveness. We've been forgiven so much. Really, we don't have a right not to forgive. And so uh, we learned just so much here from, from the life of David. Okay, I'm going to... Uh, close uh, in prayer now. Father, I just thank you, Lord God, for this word. And I just pray, Lord God, for everyone in this room, if there is any hardness of heart, Lord, that has just, that has developed over time because of bitterness and unforgiveness, Lord, that you would 
give the man or woman or, or, or me, whoever, Lord, whoever the person is, uh, Lord God, just the wisdom to agree what your heart is for the situation and the grace to forgive and the opportunity to show forgiveness. I pray that in the name of Jesus, Lord. And Father, I just, um, I, I, I also pray, Lord God, for, for you to just to draw us in, Lord, that we would all be men and women who are seeking after your heart, Lord, and that we would understand in, 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 in a huge, large measure, Lord God, how much you've forgiven us. God, that our heart would just melt with just the knowledge of, of how much you've forgiven us, Lord. God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for loving us. God, we love you and we need you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, we will be returning in uh, 10 or 15 minutes. If you'd like to pray with us, if you'd like to go home, please feel free to do so uh, this evening. Let us pray for the Calvary Chapel Missions in India. We do support them, right, Scott? Calvary Chapel Missions in India. Uh, the, we, have two, uh, we have two different missions organizations that we support in India. One is Gospel for Asia, which is K.P. Johannes Group, and then Calvary Chapel Boise, uh, has started Calvary Chapel Missions, and uh, those are actual Calvary chapels uh, in India. Let's pray for them uh, this evening. Do we have any signs for them, any pictures? I know we support a guy named Lazarus, don't we? There's a guy named Lazarus, Pastor Lazarus. That's a hard one to forget. Let's remember uh, to pray for him. Let's also just pray also just uh, that uh, the situation with the hotel and the building, that the Lord would continue to move that, and any other, uh, any other prayer requests that you may have. Okay. God bless you. You're dismissed.